Ray is like, huh? For Richie? We just saw it in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a dumbfounded look on your face. <laughs> From Rosemary's Baby and Reagan McNeil to Jason, Freddy, and Chucky to Samara, Jigsaw, and Pennywise, we can't get enough. If it's blood-curdling, spine-tingling, breath-quickening, or soul-stealing, we are ready to watch it. Welcome to Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards, and with me in the studio tonight are my two co-hosts, Helen Stewart. Hello. And Ann Conley. Hi, guys. All right, for new listeners, this is going to be our format for this episode. First, I'm going to introduce the movie. We'll run through our expectations going into the watch, then we're going to play the trailer and review the movie, then we'll finally wrap up with our ratings. So tonight we are going to review Chapter 1 of It, 2017 American Supernatural Horror Film based on Stephen King's 1986 novel of the same name, produced by New Line Cinema, Rat Pack Dune Entertainment, Kaz Smith Productions, Lynn Pictures, and Vertigo Entertainment and distributed by Warner Brothers. It is the second adaptation of the novel following a 1990 miniseries. The film tells the story of seven children in Derry, Maine, who are terrorized by a clown, only to face their own personal demons in the process. It premiered in Los Angeles on September 5th, 2017, and was released in the United States on September 8th, 2017 in 2D and IMAX. The film set numerous box office records and grossed over $700 million worldwide. It is the highest grossing horror movie of all time. It received positive reviews with critics praising the performances, direction, cinematography, and musical score, and many calling it one of the best Stephen King adaptations. In addition, the film was named as one of the best films of 2017 by various critics. A sequel, It Chapter 2, was released on September 6, 2019. Okay, let's uh, run through our expectations going into this watch, and why don't you start us off? Okay, yeah, so I think the first time that I saw this was probably in the theater. So I had seen this movie previously, grew up in the 80s, as we constantly reference. And of course, when I was a kid, had seen the It miniseries, probably way before I should have when I was a kid on TV. I remember getting bored like three quarters of the way through of the TV miniseries. And I probably felt much of the same through this movie as well. But, you know, all in all, I was like, it, the production value is infinitely better with this. So that, and of course, loving Stephen King in general, uh, I was, I would say it was lukewarm on seeing it again. Okay. Helen. I would agree with Anne. I remember we watched this at home, me and my husband, a couple, of, I guess, two years ago. And I didn't think this was scary at all. I thought it was more of a coming of age film for the kids. And I was not really looking forward to seeing it again. Okay, well, I saw it in the theaters when it came out. I didn't think it was especially scary. I thought there were some scary parts, some kind of jump scares. I would I would agree with Helen that it was more of a coming-of-age story, but I mean, that's what it kind of was. I think in the miniseries, of course, I think it starts with the adults and then flashes back to the children numerous times, kind of tells a story like in that manner. And in this adaptation, of course, they're splitting that in two different movies. So you have the kids in one movie and you have the adults in the second movie. It was interesting to see that. It felt much more similar to, to, to Stranger Things to me the first time I saw it. So going into the rewatch, I was interested in seeing if I felt like 
it was scarier because when I, the first time I saw it, I did have this disconnection feeling to sort of the horror versus the, the, the coming of age thing. Um, so I was interested in how I would take it the second time. All right. Well, with that, Anne, why don't you roll the trailer? All right. It's trailer time and action. There you go. She's all ready, Captain. Thanks, Billy. In October 1988, Bill crafts a paper sailboat for Georgie, his six-year-old brother. Georgie sails the boat along the rainy streets of small-town Derry, Maine, only to have it fall down a storm drain. As he attempts to retrieve it, Georgie sees a clown in a drain who introduces himself as Pennywise the Dancing Clown. Pennywise entices Georgie to come closer and then bites his arm off and drags him into the sewer. I think probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is just that opening scene showing this genuine love between the two brothers, right? Georgie resting his head on Bill's shoulder, Bill's stutter. I think that young actor did such a phenomenal job. I don't know if he's a natural stutterer, but wow, what a great job. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a strong opening. And in the second time watching, I actually felt like it was a stronger opening than I did initially, maybe because I knew it was coming. But, you know, I think in the miniseries in the 90s, and in general, you get a lot of like, you know, clowns really aren't, it's not that scary. Clowns can be scary if they're like the, the terrorizer or whatever when they have guns and they're, they're doing crazy stuff like that. But generally, like the demonic clown thing, like he's just a clown. So when you first see him, I feel like he's not that scary. And he's like kind of has that chipper sort of clown voice. But there's one point in there when he's doing the pop, the popcorn. He's like pop, pop, pop. And he stops and his eyes kind of roll to the side. 
you can tell that whatever it is in the inside, it's not a clown, right? There's like, it's wearing this kind of clown suit. And I thought that was effective to me on the second watch. So I feel like I have to disagree with you, Ray, because I find clowns to be one of my least favorite things. I have this issue where (laughs) I don't really read people well. So when (laughs) a clown has the tear on his face, and I know it's not really sad, it's very confusing to me. So I don't know if that's like general how people feel like when they're afraid of clowns, if that's part of it, but like just having a clown in general, and he didn't really have necessarily emotion on this clown's face, but just having him in a sewer, the makeup itself to me was terrifying. Okay. I know the scars guards are like a family of actors, but for some reason, and I don't know what they did, but his cheeks were so apple-y, <laughs> like I don't understand how, and the forehead was just good makeup. Alien large prosthetics. Yeah, but it was just like all of that combined was like, I don't know, too much to me. Too like, much. not that I was like terrified of this movie at all, but just seeing that was, yeah, that just kind of brought back the, yes, I still do not like clowns. Oh, well, that's good. I mean, I think that's the intended reaction that they're going for. I mean, personally, I thought that that trailer was more scary than the entire movie. But I also felt like on second watch, it just wasn't scary to me because I felt like they underutilized sound effects a lot. We talk about movies, they're all different kinds of scares. And of course, there are like gimmicky jump scares. But I mean, we all like jump scares. In the trailer, they show Pennywise very abruptly showing himself in the sewer. And there's kind of like a bass drum that like hits like right when he shows up. They didn't do that in the movie. He kind of like gently entered the scene. And there was no like suspenseful music when he came first came in. So I was kind of like, oh, that's unusual. Like, okay, he's here. It's weird that there's a giant sewer drain, first of all. Weird that you possibly think you're going to get your boat back out of it. Right. It's gone, dude. It's gone. Just go make another paper boat. I'm pretty sure your, you know, million dollar house, you can afford another piece of paper and some wax. And then like a clown appears and you're just kind of like, I don't know. I mean, you can only assume that like on some level he's curious or potentially entranced by this clown that he continues to talk to him. But I mean, what I will say is it definitely kicks it up when, you know, he bites him and he rips his arm off. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know why I just, you know, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, like people who are Stephen King fans, you know, by by no means, like, don't let this take away from your enjoyment of the movie. This is definitely a very well produced. And I, I agree with the review that it's probably the best produced Stephen King movie yet. But overall, I was just like, uh, I, I, I would have ramped it up, I think, even more. I mean, I'll agree with you, Anne. I don't think this movie was terribly scary in the same way a lot of the horror movies that we watch are scary. But I don't really think... I've read a decent amount of Stephen King, specifically his Dark Tower series and more of his fantastical stuff. And he translates better in the written word because a lot of it's psychologically scary. It's like psychological horror. It's in people's minds. It's all this stuff. And I think that's difficult to sort of get across in in a visual medium. Right. I think a lot of it has to do like I've I haven't read too many of his long novels. I've read like the the short stories. Mm-hmm. But he's very descriptive. And I think that plays a part into it whereas this is all just visual and I don't think that you can when you have that description being kind of read to you by yourself like you can imagine in your brain and it gets a little more haunting. I don't know if you've ever read anything or heard anything about when they do they translate books into movies and they talk about how the dialogue, they have to sometimes change it because it sounds 
okay in your mind when you're reading it, but to have somebody say it, it sounds goofy, especially like fantasy, like King Arthur type of, you know, swords and sorcery type of books that get translated over. And I feel like the whole... Where art thou, clown? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but the whole, you float down here, we float down here. I feel like that would be much scarier reading it in your mind at night when you have the book than it is them saying it and trying to get it across and it'd be scary because I didn't really, I mean, it, it, it sort of almost seems corny. Yeah, it's and really it, goofy. Yeah, and they movie. really, really, really try to make it sound scary. I can imagine reading it and being like, what does it mean? We'll all float down here. And you, you're bringing so much more to to it when you read it, I feel like. I agree with that, absolutely. I also just feel like I think that really good directors can pull it off. I just felt like it didn't totally deliver for me. You know, we've reviewed movies like Annihilation, which have a very rich feel to them. And when you're watching it, you have to think differently as you're watching it. It makes you, makes you think differently. This movie is just, you're straight up just watching these kids go through this thing and you have this kid's story, then this kid's story, then this kid's story and scare, scare, scare. And, you know, so I feel like it was fairly rote in the way that it went through it. And I think that was to its detriment considering how strange the it thing is supposed to be. We are seeing Stephen King from the 80s. He wrote this. You know, so so many other stories have done this. You know what I mean? So you're seeing like the original, right. one of the originals. It's Yeah, like if this was done at the time it was written this well, yeah. we might not be having this conversation. And, and remember that in the 80s when he wrote the book, the adults were the 80s and the kids were like the 60s. So when they did this movie, the kids are in the 80s and the adults are in the modern time. So, you know, even then, it's it's a hearkening back to a, an even earlier time in, in the book. But yeah, I mean, that's a very fair point. We're reviewing, you know, cutting edge 80s material now in 2019, where it doesn't seem so cutting edge anymore. The following summer, Bill and his friends, Richie, Eddie, and Stan, run afoul an older bully named Henry Bowers and his gang. Bill, still haunted by Georgie's disappearance, calculates that his brother's body may have washed up in a marshy wasteland called the Barrens. He recruits his friends to investigate, believing Georgie may still be alive. Ben, one of Bill's new classmates, learns that the town has been plagued by unexplained tragedies and child disappearances for centuries. Targeted by Bowers' gang, Ben flees into the Barrens and meets Bill's group. They find the sneaker of a missing girl named Betty, while a member of the Bowers gang, Patrick, is killed by Pennywise while searching the sewers for Ben. Like, wow, can I say this group of bullies was a bunch of assholes. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, yeah. they weren't bullies. They Horrible. were straight up like murderers. Yeah, I mean, I've, they were criminals. Going back to what you said about the, the story in the 80s, the kids actually grew up in the 60s. I kind of feel like these bullies did kind of represent more 60s and 80s, just from the, the knife that the guy the kid mm-hmm. had. It just sounds Switch like they blade. did things that they probably wouldn't have done had they been in a later Sure, sure. I get that. And it's especially true with the black boy. I mean, there was right. a, I think the racism in the 60s yes. is much more overt. And I think that they get into it a little bit just in the sense that the bullies kind of peck on him for that. But they could have picked on him for any any reason, you know what I mean, in the 80s. And just that whole setup of like the shooting of the lambs with the, I don't know what kind of. It's like a bolt. Yeah. yeah and then what was he distributing the meat to the like it, that did seem more of like an older type thing yeah agreed this setup would have resonated much more in like a 50s 60s environment which would have been cool because then it would have been sort of more like a period piece type of thing so yeah i mean that would have been interesting but i agree those bullies were intense the main bully is like an evil kevin bacon i think <laughs> he totally is yeah and he like carves his name in like the guy's gut 
Yeah. That's so messed up. Like today we so talk about these intense bullying situations, but you're just like, I don't know. It's either like digital bullying or like school shootings, <laughs> polar ends of the spectrum. Yeah, it seems like I, I don't. I mean, obviously the guy's dad is like the sheriff or a cop, and so he gets away with it. But dude, that's it that's makes me crazy. wonder. Yeah. Like, I mean, yes, we have the bullying that we have now, but like, did this happen then? And we're just forgetting that it happened and saying that bullying is so much worse now because that to me is terrible. Oh yeah, I mean, I fully believe that. There's all kinds of shit that happened back in the day that we just want to easily gloss over right. and just say. I mean, think of all like the racism and the racial attacks. Well, I mean, even the bu- but I think the bullying was largely under the radar. I mean, people just ignored it. I think they consciously ignored it, right? I mean, it was kind of like boys being boys and they let it happen and it was toughening the boys up. And obviously the boys getting picked on were the weaker boys and those boys needed to be tough, toughened up. I mean, you know, toxic masculinity. A sunny side to this is that the bullies in the in the movies were actually the really nice guys, like real life, and that there's a lot of pictures of them and the Losers Club mm-hmm. just hanging out together. So yes, he's an asshole in the movie, but in real life, he's a nice guy. Oh. That's nice. Yes. That's nice. Character <laughs> diversity. Yeah. So I will say the other nice guy in the movie is Ben. I liked him. He, the, the short little round guy, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, he was he <laughs> was a cool he was a cool guy. He's and so cute. What, what I liked about the character <laughs> was that he's like the smart one. He's guy in the chair. Yeah, so Bill, yeah, he's a guy <laughs> in the chair. But Bill doesn't have to be the main character who's also smart about everything, who's also, you know. You know Always and, and, right. Yeah, and Ben's not just the, like, and fat strong. guy. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, he gets to be the smart guy. Right. I liked that Bill, if you if you even wanted to call him the main character, which I think it's safe to call him the main character. Sure, yep. He didn't feel like the main character throughout the whole movie. To your point, he wasn't always right. He was kind of a hot mess sometimes. The story didn't only revolve around him. It was really this ensemble cast. So I like that they took time to develop all the characters in this little Stranger Things mini group. Of the kids... I think it's Bill, Ben, and Be- and Beverly, the three Bs, I guess I would call them. Um, but they're like the the main trio, Triple I think, B. yeah, of the movie. Obviously, Bill is the through line because he's propelling the plot forward because it's his brother. But then you have the sort of love triangle sort of thing between the, those three. Speaking of Beverly, I like how they called her Beaverly, <laughs> which was really kind of funny. I think I missed that in the last uh, in the last uh, time I watched it. So I thought that was cool. Totally gross that they flipped the trash can on her oh um, and so i'm not gross. sure what was coming out of that trash can but there was a lot of liquid in that trash can did yeah. you see no 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 they took the trash can over to the sink oh they filled it yeah. up i didn't filled see it, it i didn't i didn't see it so i missed oh, that part yeah i'm like whoever came with I was, that genius i was writing i was writing <laughs> beaverly in my notes probably while they were doing it because I mean, they called her beaverly evil beaverly. genius but clever yeah but, but i do agree like typically in any especially a women's bathroom in the in the trash can out there you're really only going to have hand towels yes yeah so it probably wouldn't be that gross unless somebody threw like a lunch <laughs> or something in there poor beaverly yeah but she was even nice like you know, she, yeah, and she was totally sixteen candles. So it was. So oh yeah, I love that they yeah. called that out. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. But I think my favorite was Eddie. Yeah, our our what's what, um, hypochondriac. Thank you. <laughs> 
really, of course, his mom was more the hypochondriac. And I felt like they could have played that up way more because I think that at the beginning, you're kind of like, okay, you know, he's just another cool, normal, whatever kid. And he's on medications or whatever, but like no biggie. And then it wasn't until like I felt like it really kind of snowballed throughout the movie. And then when you see the mom, it sort of crystallizes a little bit more like, oh, okay, they're supposed to be hypochondriacs and like afraid of everything and so on. And like, I don't know. I felt like they could have played up more, but he was just so cute and like not wanting to touch anything. Yeah, I loved him too. I, I would have gone. She's almost borderline Munchausen's because she was giving him placebos. Yeah. Oh, he, totally. Yeah. But yeah. the tracksuit thing was ridiculous when she comes out. The fat like, lady tracksuit. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it is a little later in the movie, but since you brought it up, I mean, I think that's the one part where they lean into the idea that these adults potentially know there's something going on. And she's specifically trying to keep him in the house so he doesn't get hurt. It's like um, Nightmare on Elm Street where all the adults know that Freddie they did something to this guy and Freddie comes back and he's killing people so they they want to protect their kids. But like she's the only one and they only lean slightly into it. So I don't actually know whether or not that's supposed to be a subtext of the town or not. Right. I, I felt like they did not insinuate it at all. Like not heavily. I mean they all she said was that I'm trying to keep you safe. And then you could extrapolate that to basically say, oh, they knew something was going on. She's actually terrified of this reality and trying to keep him safe, generally. She probably doesn't understand it's every 27 years, so she's just got him covered 24-7. Beverly Marsh, a girl bullied over rumors of promiscuity, also joins the group. Both Bill and Ben develop feelings for her. Later, the group befriends orphan Mike Hanlon after defending him from the Bowers. Each member of the group has encountered terrifying manifestations of the same menacing clown who attacked Georgie, a headless undead boy, a sink that spews blood only children can see, a diseased and rotting leper, a disturbing painting come to life, Mike's parents burning alive, and a frightening phantom of Georgie. All right, well, that wraps up a whole big chunk of the movie, doesn't it? It certainly does. Yeah. So for a minute, can can we talk about Stan and that... Flute lady. Yeah, and that flute lady, because she was creepy. Why would anyone have that picture? I was going to say, I don't understand. That's some creepy stuff. I mean, it was like the scream. Yeah, painting. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Like the screaming face. Yeah. You're like, it's cool, like for scream, but like, why would you have a creepy woman with like white eyeballs and a flute like... Rightfully so, he's terrified of it. Right, I agree. Who <laughs> wouldn't be? That yeah. whole room is kind of just almost locked away. Like, it didn't look like it was an accessible room. It, you really shouldn't be in there type thing. But well, I guess, his, his dad was the rabbi, right. right? So it was like he was back where the rabbi's office was. It was just was creepy. Yeah. Like the whole yeah. thing, like, the, I know, I don't know. I guess maybe the painting made it creepy with all the books, but. Well, you know, it made me think of my, my grandfather uh, owned a bar. And he had an office back in the back. You know, it's a Sunday, the bar's closed, and we're in there, you know, because, you know, we're restocking, doing stuff, whatever. And, you know, I was young, 10, 11, 12, something like that. And, you know, when you go back into the places where nobody is, it, it can get creepy, right? Did you so, have a weird painting? It's a little creepy. There was no weird, well, there were paintings, but they were of women in various states of undress. So that's that's a whole different thing. It's a oh, bar. Oh, like The Shining? Like yeah, the, the Ooh. <laughs> yeah. The uh, Shocker Man pad? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, my, my grandfather was Scatman. No, just kidding. He's not. <laughs> Black Thunder. <laughs> of course, all of these different kids' nightmares kind of come to life. I also didn't feel like that was overly explicit. I felt like, I guess it was Eddie who winds up essentially calling it out and saying like, oh, I saw a leper. And that's after you kind of figure out that, right, there's supposed to be this hypochondriac. I mean, everybody else, you don't really understand, right? 
Beverly with the blood, you're just kind of like, okay, is that again supposed to be like a getting your first period type of like, come on, Stephen King. I I think it is. Come on. She goes to the whatever pharmacy and she's trying to figure out what feminine products to purchase. Obviously, she's living with her dad. There's no mom figure that we can tell. Yeah, I think I didn't necessarily get the impression it was her first period, but I did get the impression that the blood was supposed to represent her dad and his whole thing and her and her sexuality. Like, I definitely thought that was what that blood was supposed to represent. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know if it was necessarily the first thing, but it was or the first time that she's experienced it. But between her, I would say, being new to it. Yeah. And then her really odd relationship with her father. Yeah, I mean, you're being raped by your dad and you're afraid of some tampons? No. But I do think that was her, supposed to be her first period because remember how he's like, what you got there? And then he's very clearly like, hmm, you're still my little girl, right? Yeah. So at least it was his first awareness that right. that was happening. Yeah, yeah at I could least. see that. I mean, I got the impression he's asking her if, if she's his little girl. Is his way of saying, have you had sex with anybody? When she was with the boys, he's like, you're still my little girl, right? Like, it was him saying, are you still pure? And I didn't get a sense in this movie whether or not he was actually molesting her or if he had not crossed that point yet. Because I got the impression later in the movie where she says no. Then he, like, he climbs on top of her. And I feel like that's him being like, all right, we're going to take this to the next level. But I don't know. I mean, it was ambiguous to me. Oh, it was it was ambiguous to me too, but I do think that like whatever his tendencies were seemed to fall towards the non-mature version of females based on yeah. it. Like I want you to be my little girl and his intensity when he says that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a movie for the masses. So they can't put like a child rapist in it front and center. So I think it was definitely implied and then absolutely just through most of the movie it's very ambiguous and then when they're having their sort of brawl i felt like she escalated so quickly to me that sort of meant this had happened before and she was like not this time type of thing but i mean of course it could be open to interpretation but in the book he is raping her right or molesting her yeah i don't i have not read the book they have a physical relationship i also have not read the book Mm. well he's Whatever, the dad's gross. The dad is like, yeah, this, even if he's not a rapist, the dad was gross. Like, he just <laughs> inappropriate, was yucky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awful. Nasty. Yeah. Awful. So, the one part I did like, and I caught on the second watch, is when Bill is seeing Georgie uh, down in the basement, the flooded basement, right? And I, I call it like puppet Georgie, because I, I, I got this distinct feeling that when you see it, the clown come like halfway up the wa- out of the water, his face, like almost feel like his hands like puppeting Georgie. And then when he goes and runs at Bill and Bill runs up the stairs, the clown like flops onto the um, landing of the steps. And when he draws back, it's almost like he's being pulled. Like he doesn't get up and get back up. He like slides across like it's up once again. It The clown is just a puppet. It's just a mask. And um, I appreciated that because it felt scarier to me. I know a lot of people find this scene really scary. It didn't like even phase me this time. I liked the like, you'll flow too, you'll flow too. Like I liked him getting hysterical. I thought just thought that was like an enjoyable effect. And then his face begins to rot. I totally agree with you that the Georgie piece was like he was puppeting. Also, I think you see Pennywise mouthing the words. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. right? As Mm -hmm. he's saying it. So to your point, absolutely. Yeah, it's like he's a ventriloquist. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was cool. 
I did. I was very curious to your point about this kind of weird flopping. So they had a few moments in the movie like that where you're like, I don't get it. Like, I think it was meant to mean something. Is Pennywise being controlled by a greater evil? Is he also a puppet? Well, I think that it, right, the the entity that is it is presenting a piece of itself as this clown. And I think that there is a, it feels to me like there is a, a piece of a Pennywise the Clown, con- not consciousness, but personality that then is, I don't know, interrupted or taken over or something by this other, th- by the greater entity, if you will. I don't know how to describe it any more than that. Because, yeah, I mean, like at the beginning when his eyes kind of go weird and he kind of like whatever, and then this part where he flops, like there's multiple times where the curtain's lifted on the fact that like this is not a clown, even a clown demon. It's like something else. Right. And that kind of makes sense to me with like, if your goal is to obtain, I'm assuming children, I don't know if it necessarily has to be just anybody in general, but we'll say they use the clown to get to children because children will just for some reason be more trusting with the clown. Then yes, he'll puppeteer the clown figure. Yeah. I mean, I had read that Stephen King used the clown because that's what he believed children feared the most type of thing. I agree, Stephen King. So I like the idea that the clown was meant to be a generic child's nightmare in physical form. And then each of them have their own nightmares sort of parroted throughout this. I think, again, from a book from a manuscript perspective, I think it would have been even more effective. I think it's lost a little bit in the movie, just some of the graces and some of the elegance behind that. But yeah, Ray, I like your hypothesis. I I don't know. I can't remember um, what happens in the rest of it. I guess we'll see when we watch chapter two, if the clown is its own puppet of the larger big bad. But that would be interesting. Before we move past this section, I just wanted to talk about, um, you have Ben in the library and he goes down, he sees the red balloon and he kind of goes down. There's oh the my Easter God. eggs mm-hmm. and he goes down in the basement. I will tell you that the first time I saw this, I did not necessarily think that the headless thing that chases him was scary. This time I thought it was actually scary. I was like, whoa, because it's like kind of jerking, herky jerking towards him. And yeah, I'd be scared down there in the books, in the stacks. Okay, let me tell you what scared me. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but when he's in the library flipping through the book, did you see the crazy librarian in the background? What was crazy about her? Oh, she was a librarian? Oh my God. No, 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 no. So when he's looking in the book, right, and it starts flipping and you see there's something in the tree and then it becomes this little boy's head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, they occasionally flash to him looking at the book And behind them, the same librarian in like that crazy Hawaiian floral dress that brought him the book is standing in the background like this. Oh. Like with this crazy evil grin. And the grin gets bigger and bigger and bigger every time. they. Oh, my God. That was terrifying. I was like, (laughs) I can't remember if I saw that the first time, but I was like, that was very like House on Haunting Hill. Like how we said like eerie things happened in the background. Right. Whether you picked up. And I was like, (gasps) oh. And then I was hoping to get a lot more of that in the rest of the movie, and I didn't see it ever again. So I know I saw when he was flipping through the book, like the clown was in it, like mm-hmm. in the drawing. Yes. But I didn't see the background of the librarian, so I have to go oh, back and yeah, check Oh, yeah, you got out. it. That's super creepy. And then like I was like, what's going to happen? Because then I couldn't remember, you know, with like the headless body. But I was like, oh, my God, 
like the clown is the librarian. I was like, the librarian is going to come and get him and didn't go that route at all. And then eventually, like, I think when he slams the book shut and the balloon starts floating up, then you see like that same librarian just like off in the corner doing something. And you're like, oh, oh, okay. I guess it's not going anywhere. Like it was just, but I still thought it was creepy. Now calling themselves the Losers Club, they realize they are all being stalked by the same entity, which they refer to as It. They determine that it assumes an appearance of what they fear the most, awakening every 27 years to feed on the children of Derry before returning to hibernation, and moves about using the sewer lines, which all lead to an old stone well hidden under an abandoned house. After another attack by Pennywise, the group ventures to the house to confront it, only to be separated and terrorized as Pennywise gloats to Bill about Georgie the Losers, regroup, and Beverly impales Pennywise through the head, forcing the clown to retreat. The group flees the house and begins to splinter with only Bill and Beverly resolute in fighting it. So what do you think about like this scene where they're actually identifying him as it? Mm. You mean it's that's the slide scene when they're in a garage? Yeah. Like, yeah. like to name it it, is that more scary to you because there's no definition or do you find it to be like scarier? You know what I'm saying? I do. I, I mean, I think it's probably scarier to not have a name. But also I feel like we grew up knowing it as the clown. So it is kind of its name. Like, I feel like it's lost something on us versus when it came out in the 80s. Right. You know, it's kind of like people saying Darth Vader is the most iconic bad guy. And we and just, I mean, we know Darth Vader. You know what I mean? Like, he's been around for so long. You're just familiar with him. So I feel like it's it's that sort of thing. I thought it was lame. <laughs> I Imp- feel like it's unimaginative. Impractical and unrealistic. I was like, if you have a group of kids and they're being haunted by a clown, they're going to call it the clown. I'm sorry. They're not going to call it it. If it had revealed itself to be something potentially other than a clown, like a metamorphic, you know, something or other, like we're saying this sort of puppeteering, then they would have known it wasn't a clown and they could have called it something, you know, more figurative. But to them, it's not. It's a clown. So I was just like, all right. Yeah, it was just another point that in this movie, from a logical perspective, bothered me. Well, I will say, aside from the calling it it versus Pennywise versus whatever, I did like the scene in the garage when he pops out, when it falls over, and then he pops out all of a sudden, and he's huge. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I like that scene. I thought it was good. It was original to me. Like, it wasn't something I've seen before or even really, like, a variation of something I've seen before. Like, the slideshow thing I thought was pretty cool because that brings you back to the 80s, like, you know, having classes where you had that. <laughs> the carousel. Yeah. Yes. And I love the how it goes faster and faster. And you see like the hair over, I guess, the mom and it becomes actually Pennywise. But I, I, I don't know. I feel like Pennywise as a name was more, I don't know, something had more oomph to it maybe than it. Even yeah. though it and Pennywise are different. But like why introduce yourself as puppet Pennywise versus, I don't know. Yeah. I guess we'll find more out, out in part two, but. Yeah, and I, I'm glad that you like that that effect so much, Ray, because I think that it was really well done. I think that the slideshow effect was fabulous, but I also think it's so nuanced. The first time you see it, it's amazing, and after that, it's like, eh. But great imagination. I mean, really good. You know, I was I was so mad. I remember seeing this movie. I was so mad they put that in the trailer yes. because it spoiled it when you saw it on the big screen which was phenomenal. 
I didn't like the clown popping out of the screen. I thought it was gimmicky and it felt like a little small worldish to me. Just too much puppetry. But but again, I mean, it, it was my second watch. So you kind of go, well, <laughs> like, you know, when you've already seen it, it's it's not as scary. One thing that I didn't particularly like about the way they made things look in this movie was the house that they go to. It looked so scary, rundown, haunted house looking. And none of the other houses around it looked like that. And I know that's cliche. That's like the thing. But it was too tropey to me. It looked it looked too fake. I, I agree with you. I feel like if you were going to see that kind of house, it would probably be more in an isolated setting and not in like a neighborhood where your house is like, I don't know, maybe 50 feet away. Yeah. I also thought the field of sunflowers was a little weird. Yeah, I didn't know so if weird. that was a Stephen King thing. No, not to my knowledge. I picked up on the sunflowers as well. I have no, I've not seen any other Stephen King reference. So I thought that was bizarre that they specifically had sunflowers. They should have done like red roses or something weird. I mean, the roses would have had. That would have been cool, right? Had a a reference to Stephen King. But the rose is also like a good reference, not a bad reference. So I don't know. I did feel like this house reminded me very much of the Dark Tower, the Gunslinger movie that they did. I was like, sure. Is this the exact same house? From that movie? So I thought that was a cool Stephen King reference. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like Stephen King Haunted House. What a way. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like <laughs> that, he, he has a lot of them. They all kind of are the same. But so. for whatever reason, the layout and the way that they shot it was almost exactly the same as that other movie. Yeah, I mean, the inside of the house I actually thought was okay. It looked like an actual house, and it seemed like it was legitimate. Um, Didn't seem too, like quirky and weird you know what i mean but like it all the outside almost had like a tim burton-esque feel to it to me kind of heightened and it didn't fit the, to me the rest of the movie it was over the top ridiculous and and to helen's point like if it's literally 50 feet from the neighbor like they would have condemned it they would have knocked it down so you know you cut <laughs> so you kind of get into again like at least i do these like logical mechanisms that you go okay like again we're just like kind of suspending belief for the idea that the well house is there and we're going to preserve this house and you know it's a creepy mechanism that these kids are going to go into and have like the final scenes. Yeah. I, I just think that rinky dink fencing around it was like, really? Oh yeah, let's keep up let's keep everybody else out like out with the fences halfway falling down. Like it just didn't feel Do you think Pennywise pays the mortgage every twenty seven years to keep that place? Like <laughs> he pops up and he does like some drop some cash to keep it for the next twenty seven years. Helium rights because clearly he keeps popping <laughs> yeah. punching down all these things. Yeah, he's balloons. got a helium mine down there. He's yeah. Just, yeah, exactly. I'm convinced. I don't know what We're he's doing. running out of helium, so let's hope he keeps it. <laughs> yeah, up. I know. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, it, well, he's only inflating maybe 27 balloons or so, so he can <laughs> right. sell the rest. That's very true. I wonder if you counted the balloons in this movie, if it would be 27. That would be interesting. That would be awesome. Because even with like that pyramid of balloons where he has it in front of him, mm-hmm. you look at the costuming of the clown behind the balloons, like you can't see his face or anything, and that that was creepy. Mm-hmm. That and was then good. he when he pulls it up and you see his face, you're like, oh, oh God. That was a good scene. Yeah, that, that was, was creepy. So another creepy scene I thought was when he comes out of the refrigerator and he unwinds himself. Like I thought that was really well done. I was like, oh man, how they, I mean, it's CGI obviously, but like I thought it was was pretty well done. And then you see his, um, once again, you see his hand, but it's a claw, like these claws extend out through the glove. We're getting ready to get real here. The clown's just a thing. We don't care about that. Like we're going to get real. Let's see. Uh, So I have to say the other thing I hate about clowns besides their fake emotions is the... (laughs) I, and I know how this trick is done, the clown car. 
<laughs> but it just <laughs> freaks me out thinking like you're supposed to think they have a hundred clowns in this tiny little clown car. We clearly don't fit. It's all just fake. Mind blowing. Is it? Don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I also like then um, Beverly jams that thing through his his face, and he like escapes back down into the into the well, which is how they discover the well where the well is. Right? They follow him, or Bill follows him down in there. Which is interesting because should he be hurt? It seems weird that he would be hurt and have to slink back. Yeah. Considering he disappears and comes out through, you know, slideshow <laughs> screens and, you know. Yeah, I don't know if it's like a, I need to readjust my appearance because his face is distorted in like a really weird way. Gotta do my makeup. Yeah, he needs to do his clown makeup. Like, if you read the clown rules, you have to be professional at all times. Yeah, I guess. Um, there's a whole set of rules for clowning. But yeah, like the way his face distorts and the way he kind of backtracks and reverses almost, like that was also creepy. Yeah, it, it's like the pain made him uh, drop the act a little more. Like he's moving in a way that isn't quite right for a person. Right. Shaped thing. I thought that was really well done. Okay. Weeks later, after Beverly confronts and incapacitates her sexually abusive father, she is abducted by Pennywise. The Losers Club reassembles and travels back to the abandoned house to rescue her. Bowers, who has murdered his abusive father after being driven insane by it, attacks the group. Mike fights back and pushes Bowers down the well to his apparent death. The Losers descend into the sewers and find its underground lair, which contains a mountain of decayed circus props and children's belongings around which the bodies of its child victims float in midair. Beverly, now catatonic after being exposed to the bright lights inside its gaping mouth, is restored to consciousness when Ben kisses her. Bill encounters Georgie but recognizes that he is it in disguise as Pennywise takes Bill hostage, offering to spare the others and go into hibernation if they let it feed on Bill. The losers reject this, battling it while overcoming their various fears. It's eventually defeated and retreats deeper into the sewers with Bill declaring that it will starve during its hibernation. Finding the remnants of Georgie's raincoat, Bill finally comes to terms with his brother's death and is comforted by his friends. As summer ends, Beverly informs the group of a vision she had while catatonic where she saw them fighting it again as adults. The losers swear a blood oath that they will return to Derry as adults if it returns. After the others make their goodbyes and disperse, Beverly and Bill discuss her leaving the next day to live with her aunt in Portland. Before she leaves, Bill reveals his feelings and they kiss. So I found it really interesting that like you have kids who get killed and kids who float in midair. What is the difference? Well, the ones that are floating are dead, right? Are they? Because yeah. Beverly wasn't. Yeah, I mean... Beverly was not. Beverly was not, but I think she was kind of like in the process of it. Because it wasn't like those kids descended and then decided they were going to walk away. It wasn't like all these kids came out of the sewers. Yeah, I know. I know, but I was confused by the whole thing, too. I, I was as well, but because I you're think like, they're all dead. Is that a mountain of trash, or is that all the bodies? Because there were right. not that many bodies floating. Right. So you were like, oh, is it like the whole like spider in Lord of the Rings, that they have a certain amount of time, that maybe, you know, they... It, it puts them into a catatonic state before it fully drains them, so they have so, so many... So but, these but are like current kids of this year's harvesting. Maybe this right. harvest, okay. yeah. And I thought the same thing, right? But then you're like, well, were the rest of the kids like walking out? Like nobody else comes out. You don't see all the bodies down the ground. Like, yeah. So. I, mean, I mean, maybe they all float up there and then over the 27 years, they're like, they get absorbed or whatever and they like 
fall down to the ground, they're dead as they decay, as they so, whatever. Like, oh god, I guess I like my question then is like, so they, you know, figure out how to to feed him for this time. He goes away. These kids are still floating there or whatever. They come down. I can't. They remember. come down. They come yeah. down. Why? We're the adults, and why aren't they doing anything? Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether the kids leave the sewers and say, hey, adults, there's a bunch of dead bodies down there. We can lead you to them. Or if they're just like, yeah, you know what? They're all dead. So Yeah. Is that going to be part two? Let's leave it go. No, I don't don't know. I don't think that they tell anybody. I don't know. I will say that here in the the wiki, it says bright lights. Uh, They're called the dead lights is actually what they're called. Yes. And that is one of the core truths about the entity are these dead lights, which sort of... um, you know, drain their essence, if you will, or their life force. It's very appropriate as we're watching the Dark Crystal. Yes. Yes, we are watching the Dark Crystal. We're not uh, podcasting about the Dark Crystal. We are watching it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I hate to just like, sorry, guys, just be like really on this one. But you're like, why are they floating? Suddenly this is supernatural. To Helen's point, like, are they dead? Are they alive? Like, just be clear about that. Um, the lights, you're like, okay, so this is now like an alien force type of thing. It just gave me so many questions at, at the end. And then I hated the whole stupid kiss idea. The only the only reason why I was like, eh, was because earlier in the movie, uh, Beaverly has a book very clearly displayed on her vanity. That's the frog princess oh. or the frog prince, excuse me. So, right, the whole idea is, like, that they kiss and, like, transforms them back to life, which is, like, any stereotypical fairy tale. So, it's just, like, okay, Stephen King, yet again, you're using, like, a classic gender stereotype mechanism for... Yeah, I mean, I didn't... Back. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is, like, the princess coming back to life with the kiss, but I also feel like it was in the context of all of the kids together and them all sort of finding... They're beating their own fears and finding their friendship, which is what saved them. I feel like in that context, it didn't seem quite as gendery or, or you know, tropey to me. No, that was cool. I like that, that it was sort of like, uh, it rem- reminded me of Harry Potter when they all like fight the, whatchamacallit, that changes into all of their fears, right? He keeps like changing and changing and changing and you're like, okay, like, but I thought that was generally cool and that they all find their inner bravery and they stick together. You know, when you just rewind like a few scenes ago, they were all abandoning one another. So here they are back together. So I thought that was great, right? The whole friendship thing. But yeah, the whole kiss thing, I was just like, uh. And, and Richie, so does Richie say, I'm about to kick this clown's ass or whatever he says. Yeah. I mean, he, he was pretty funny in there too. Although I thought the part where Georgie turns into the clown and his legs pop out and his arms pop out and whatever they did, that was really well done. I mean, I know probably it was all CGI, but it was still, I thought it was well done. Yeah, it was definitely creepy. So the one other element that's not super positive that I really felt like I picked up the first time I saw this that greatly offended me was that I specifically felt like Pennywise was attacking our little black homeschooled boy. So in the first one, the first time I watched this, again, you're thinking, oh, wow, you know what? Just like any stereotypical horror movie, we have one black token kid, right? So he's already a stereotype. And then I felt like in the end, Pennywise specifically attacks him multiple times. And I was like, 
this is just like a stereotypical horror movie. You got to attack the black kid. I was like, what? what is going on? But what I will say is the second time I watched it, I only saw two explicit attacks on him that I thought were more like above and beyond the other kids. But I wasn't quite as offended on the second go round. I also think that Mike is supposed to be the most physically intimidating of the kids though he's supposed to be the strongest kid so i think he's attacking pennywise at the end i believe and that's kind of why pennywise kind of gets kind of physically brutal to him he goes after him with those lobster claws or whatever like it just was totally out of the blue he wasn't attacking him he had already fought him i was like so that was a little weird but you're kind of like i don't know i guess speaking of weird in these kids you know how richie sort of ditches and he's like i'm out earlier in the movie Richie's the only, I mean, Richie's even being targeted, I don't think. Like, he goes to the house and he's targeted because he's quote-unquote scared of clowns, which is the most generic thing ever. Hey. It, it doesn't seem, <laughs> I mean, for a movie about an evil clown, right? But, like, he doesn't seem to have any interest in Richie. Like, Richie should have been like, hey, this clown obviously doesn't care about me. He likes my humor. He thinks I'm funny. I'm going to go home. You guys take care of it. So that was the other thing was, you know, definitely first watch, and you definitely noticed the second watch, uh, Richie is so over-the-top vulgar throughout this movie, right? We didn't talk about that, where you have this kid who's even younger, right, from Stranger Things, and you're just kind of like, oh, my God, like the potty mouth on that kid. Is it really necessary? And it's relentless. I mean, I will say again, I mean, you know, I'm a female watching this, so that really wasn't amusing to me. Um, It didn't resonate with me. So at some point, you're just kind of like, this is just too much. But what did you guys think? I mean, Ray, as being the only dude in the group, did you feel like that was representative of that age group? No, I don't know. I mean, not representative of everybody in that age group. There were probably kids that that spoke like that. I thought some of what he said was funny. I did not, not the vul, not the vulgarity of it, but like the funny quips he had. But uh, yeah, but I thought it was over the top. He was over the top. I guess it was supposed to balance out the the horror and everything else. But yeah, I agree. I felt that with his unbelievably thick glasses that he had to kind of be like, well, I'm going to go over the top with the language because that's the only way I'm going to appear cool. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like for I, with him and the Stranger Things versus this, I feel like the only character he can do is somebody who's annoying. And why would they <laughs> cast the same kid? I mean, I get it, but why would they cast him? He was just in Stranger Things. And they have him in here playing a very similar role. And in and, and case you don't know, the new Ghostbusters movie, Ghostbusters 2020, he's in that movie. Oh, God. Really? Do we need him now as some, you know, salty teenager skulking around at six foot five or whatever he is now that he's... Oh, he's six foot five? But I'm, I'm making that up. He, he's, he looks freaking super tall now. He's very, yeah, he's very gangly. I, I don't, I mean... I don't know. It's making me dislike this actor more and more just as I see him take on this same kind of role. Like, I would like to see him go out of that kind of box that he's putting himself into. Yeah. I mean, you have the name Finn Wolfhard. I mean, play something that's, I don't yeah, know, like some rock, and, some rock and roll guy. I mean, yeah. he, starts, he looks like that. He, I think he's in a band or something like that. All right. Well, do we have anything else for the actual movie itself? Are we okay? I mean, we're primed up for It Part 2. Yeah, we are. So we'll have to see what the adults have to say about all this. And maybe we'll get some more answers about the actual history of It. I mean, I, I think in the in the book, of course, it's all layered in, the kids and the adults. But in the um, in this movie, obviously, you have to wait till Part 2 probably to get some more specific information on what's underneath the clown. I have a few fun facts. 
Sure. Let's hear them. Sure. Yeah. We, don't, we can't do yes. kill, chill, and throw, so let's do the fun facts. All right. So the number 27 obviously plays a very important role in the film and the book and whatever associated with it. So 27, obviously Penny, Pennywise resurfaces every 27 years. And unfortunately, the actor Jonathan Brandis, who played Bill in the original miniseries, killed himself at the age of 27. So very yeah. sad. I don't know what else he did, but I know he, his face looked familiar. Anyway, so uh, the remake came out 27 years later, which was probably an on-purpose, but, you know, still interesting. The clown, Bill Skarsgård, who plays the clown in this one, turned 27 one month before the films was released. And if you add the release date numbers, that also equals 27. Mm, Creepy. And anybody who's a Stranger Things fan, the Duffer Brothers, was they were trying to do an It remake, but they were turned down because they didn't have a lot of film experience. Yeah, I think they have a superior product in Stranger, Stranger Things. Stranger Things is great, yeah. yeah. I have a little fun fact as well I forgot to mention. Uh, is it tie back to Stephen King? The Dark Tower, as a matter of fact, is there's a point at which Bill is in Georgie's room and he picks up a, like a Lego turtle. And there's another part in the movie where they reference a turtle in the in the uh, when they're in the water. And the turtle, if you are a Stephen King fan, represents a sort of higher power of good uh, within his multiverse of, of different stories. So um, the specific quote is, uh, see the turtle of enormous girth on his back he holds the earth, or on his shell he holds the earth. So that was a little call out to the positive force versus it, uh, which is the, the negative yeah, I mean, if our listeners, for anybody who enjoys Stephen King generally, and if you have not read The Dark Tower, it's an amazing series, and it's sort of like the backbone to everything else that he's written. So it's really cool to see those threads pulled through here. You, I didn't catch that turtle reference at first, and then when you said it, I was like, oh, God, yes, of course, the turtle, which is why I wish we saw a bit more of the Red Rose reference. I think that would have been cool, too. And just a little clown fact, if anybody's familiar with John Wayne Gacy, who was the serial killer who dressed up as a clown and then killed young boys, he, like, there was a documentary, I think it was on Netflix, that I was watching it, and they were saying that with clown makeup, usually clowns who are generally nice and do the children's parties will use a more rounded makeup look, but anybody who's more of an evil clown will use more pointed makeup, and John Wayne Gacy obviously had triangles and kind of more angular type of makeup on his face. For this one, I feel like kind of was not as soft as what you would typically see on regular clowns that, you know, we are all familiar with. So you may want to take that into consideration when you're around clowns, look to see what their makeup is and stay away from anybody who has sharp angles. (laughs) Stay away from the evil clowns. Survival tip. All right, well, now that we've reviewed the movie, it's time to rate it. Only the best movies make it to the top of the hill. And to be the best, they have to perform in three categories. The first is technical composition, which represents how well the movie is made, including the script, cinematography, directing, acting, and effects. The second is impact, which represents how well the movie accomplished its emotional intent. Was it scary or funny? Did it make you question mankind or the nature of your reality? And third is enjoyment, which is pretty simple. How much did you enjoy watching the movie? Would you watch it again? Do you never want to see it again? So our rating scale goes from a 1 to a 10, with 1 being the worst and 10 being the best. All right, and why don't you give us your three scores? Okay, Ray, let me run through this pretty quickly. Um, As you can 
assume my scores are not super high on this one, but I will do my best job to keep it fair. Um, from a technical perspective, really, there wasn't too much wrong with this movie. The effects were very well executed. The acting was good. The costumery, costumery was good. The settings um, and stages were good. Uh, I did feel like, as I talked about with the end there, there were definitely a lot more questions than answers. Why are they floating? What's going on here? Uh, you know, why is there no resolution around whether these children are dead or not? And why do people stay in the town? And, you know, so, so simple things like that. But you generally forgive that because that's literally the entire reason why, you know, Stephen King is writing this book. Um, and can only assume we will get more answers in chapter two. So all in for tech, I rated this a seven. For impact, I gave it a six. I just felt like certainly second go round. I'm going to give it more than just a middle of the road because it had some slight jump scares, had some good spooky effects, but I overall was not super impressed. And enjoyment, I'm going to give it a three because I'm just like over it. I don't want to see this movie again. Okay, Helen. All right, for technical, I gave it an eight. I thought that there was a lot of visually stunning scenes that were artistically done that I really enjoyed. And there are just some of the effects that I just thought were really, really cool that you wouldn't typically see, like the the carousel, the photographs with the clown coming out. I thought that was neat. For impact, I gave it a six. There was some scary stuff. Most of it was just the coming of age thing that kind of felt like it dragged on a little bit. And then for enjoyment, I also gave it a six. I don't know if I'd watch it a third time, but it was okay. All right. And my ratings are the exact same ratings as Helen. Whoa. An eight for uh, technical, a six for impact, and a six for enjoyment. It'd be interesting to see when we watch chapter two if that gives us a better understanding or you know changes our perceptions of this movie. So well, when we uh, rate and review that, we will maybe talk about that too. All right, well, and why don't you crank the old numbers and see where it chapter one sits? Beep, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> well, it's very easy to do our team calculations because you two are tied with a six point six seven for your rating. I came in substantially lower, but not too bad. I thought I might be a little bit more harsh. I came in at 5.33, which brings it chapter one to around 6.22 and number 20 on our hill. So that falls right around Lost Boys, Halloween 78, and Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which is kind of crazy because <laughs> that's a totally different kind of movie. But that's cool. I mean, it definitely is not in our top tiers of movies, which uh, like The Exorcist, Bird Box, and and those type of movies, which I find interesting. But we'll see. Maybe part two will answer all the questions we had on part one. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at these other movies, it all comes down to the balance of enjoyment and execution at the end of the day. And like a Tucker and Dale versus Evil, while executionally was not superior, you know, it was funny, it was enjoyable. So that kind of gave it an uplift, right? When Whereas if you look at something like a Lost Boys, we're across the board, you know, we're pretty even on that one. Like that's just pretty middle of the pack. So I feel like it, you know, we had some ups and we had some downs. I think we were higher on tech and lower on enjoyment. Okay. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, help us grow our audience. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast app you use. And please share with your friends and family on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Give us a shout out to tell us how we're doing. 
or suggest movies to review, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us at host.hth at gmail.com. I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards, and on behalf of my co-host, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. <laughs>